for anyone just starting out is just do it. Take action. Go speak to real estate agents. Go and just meet people and network. A lot of what I learned as an investor and a renovator is just speaking to like-minded people. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, um, it's Bernadette back with another episode of She Renovates. And today I have Morgan Bushell, who is a 28-year-old who has already completed three renovations. He is here to share some tips on how he's achieved that. And I have to say, I'm quite curious to know some of the ins and outs. So welcome, Morgan. Before we get into this, would you like to just share a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me on the show. So hi everyone, my name is Morgan Bushell. I've spent most of my life in Sydney. I spent about two years of my life in Armidale and one year in Wagga, but now I'm fully back in Sydney. So a bit about me, I'm a business owner and proud to call myself a mortgage broker at my own company called Encircled Finance. I've also invested in property and the majority of those investments have been renovation projects. And before I even bought my first property, I was one of those kids that worked multiple, multiple jobs just to save up for that first deposit. So I did little random jobs like delivering local newspapers and working at the likes of Domino's Pizza just to basically save up for a deposit. I guess I never really knew what I wanted to do back then, especially with like my hard-earned savings. A friend of mine actually did put the idea in my head of being a property owner and going to collect the rent. And I actually thought that was a pretty cool idea, but um, nothing actually really eventuated from there at the beginning. But it wasn't until I then started working full time that I then kind of discovered the power of property investing. Okay. Because I know there's a lot of talk about young people not being able to get into their first property. And I, I certainly think that capital city prices do make that very challenging mm. and so I'm just curious to know what was your first property that you bought? Yeah so the first property I bought it was actually in the city I was living in at the time so Wagga Wagga and I mean for most first-time investors normally their first investment's not their necessarily their best and I was definitely one of those people so I bought a three-bedroom house one bathroom and two cars uh, and that was in Wagga Wagga. So I was living there at the time and kind of looking in my own backyard, I discovered that there was some pretty good opportunity to invest. And that kind of like kicked off my journey as far as investing went. So yeah. when you say you saw good opportunities, what was it that you saw? Like what were you seeing as opportunities at that point? Yeah, so through, through reading quite a few books, like kind of self-educating, speaking to a few people that had already kind of done the same thing that I'd wanted to achieve. I discovered that like there were certain things you had to look for with like investing in property and the three that I later learned in my journey, I only really applied actually one of those with this particular property and that was, it was cash flow positive. So basically the, the amount of rent that came in covered all the expenses and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a property that wouldn't affect my lifestyle and mean I didn't have to take any money out of my own pocket to basically hold that asset. Okay. Yeah. And what were the other two things you're looking for? 
something I realized at the time, but uh, through experience, I came to realize that the other things you need to look for when buying a property is a way to make money on the way in. So buying an undervalued property that you may have to renovate, for example, or buying, for example, a property where the, the seller is motivated to sell. So when you yeah. can kind of help them in a tricky situation, perhaps by helping them move on quickly. And then the third thing really is buying in an area where there is that, there's going to be that ongoing kind of generic growth through, I suppose, things that will help grow that. So increased jobs, infrastructure and investments in the local area. So they were the two things that I missed yeah. with my first one. And that's often a bit of a challenge when you're buying in a regional area as well. Mm. But that's okay because I don't think there's anyone in property that hasn't made some reasonably significant mistake somewhere along the line. So I, I, I always think that's a bit of a rite of passage. Mm. And as long as it's not too devastating, that's fine. And so do you want to tell us what you moved on to in terms of the other two properties? Yeah, so... Kind of learning my lessons from that first one, I didn't have a lot of equity and cash to help go to the next one that I had in mind around that time. So that would have been 2013. Just through more like learning and stuff, I'd come to learn that areas like Western Sydney were quite popular. But unfortunately, I'd already missed the boat on a lot of those prices and I was really priced out. So I actually turned my focus back to regional properties again. So the second property I bought was in Orange, New South Wales. And learning from my first property, I learned that I had to make money on the way in. And I discovered that look, there's two ways of doing it, renovating or just buying well. And I really wanted to throw myself into renovating. I, I liked the idea of using my hands, kind of creating that value for either someone to buy later or to give to a tenant through myself in the deep end is an understatement. I actually bought a, a fire burnt property. You, if you looked at it from the street, for example, you could see right inside the house, like right through to the wow. kitchen. It was a proper dump basically. And it had been like that for maybe about two years before it then got sold to general you public. Sorry? Oh, sorry, I'm jumping in. Did you say, did you say it was fire damaged? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there were a number of challenges I faced along the way with basically bringing this one up to a livable standard. But, you know, from the outset, I was very good at looking at the numbers and kind of like previous guests of yours as well, like the numbers to me worked and I believed in it. And I saw value that perhaps a lot of people didn't necessarily see. A lot of the damage was actually superficial. And whilst there was some structural damage after liaising with builders prior to buying, the, the capital outlay was still, like when looking at the numbers, it still worked. So yeah. I guess I was lucky in a sense because I saw past everything that, you know, you could just see and I looked at the numbers from the day one. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so that's number two. And so number three, what was that? Yeah, cool. so kind of... From second property, I learned a lot, like a lot about renovating from not lifting a paintbrush ever in my life to kind of doing this, this third property. I basically applied a lot of the learnings from that and then kind of snowballed it from there to the next one. So this what sort of things 
did you do differently? Yeah, so first of all, I didn't buy in my own state this time. I bought in Queensland, so southwest okay. Queensland area. And so that in itself was a bit of a challenge for me because, you know, completely different states. I didn't know real estate agents or solicitors or builders. So leveraging relationships was really important. So that was one big learning for me. And was looking for basically the same thing, but not necessarily a, a bigger project. I was looking for something that I could cosmetically renovate and do very kind of like minor fix-up jobs. And I eventually found a property that I secured through having good relationships with real estate agents. So this was one that actually wasn't advertised online. And this was just, this came about from just being present in the market, going up every weekend to speak to agents and see properties. Yeah, it was below market value. It needed a really cheap reno on it. I think I spent 15 grand on it and did the same thing, like same paint colors, same blinds. A lot of the things from my first reno, I applied that kind of like cookie cutter methodology to this mm. third one. And so that really just helped with this next one because it wasn't nearly as stressful. In fact, I actually outsourced a lot of the, the work to my builder because of the fact that I bought so well and the costs for completion weren't so high. Okay. Yeah. So do you want to share some numbers? Yeah, so sure. what would you say your renovating has added to your bottom line over the last three projects? Yeah. So with my portfolio, I actually did start, like I did have five, but then I sold two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. the one I just mentioned that had been sold. But then I went and bought two others, one I've kept and then the other I did sell. I'm just really curious to see what sort of a difference do you think your renovating has made to your bottom line? So you've bought over the years, so it's about eight years, you've bought five properties and you've kept three of them. Yeah. Why did you sell yeah, the so, others? So the my third property I sold and that's purely because I'd had experienced quite like significant gains since I bought and renovated it. I bought that one for 215 at the time and it was a three bedroom, one bath, one car, high set house in Queensland. The renovation costs were 15. So I ended up selling that for mid like 350. So at the okay. time, yeah. yeah, I'd had quite significant gains on that property and I really just wanted to realize those gains to help with future like projects or potentially put that towards the business I was planning on starting. Yeah, yeah that's why I sold that one. And yeah, the, the last one that I sold, that was a property that I owned in also Queensland, in Moreton Bay area. I bought that oh, yeah. one with the view of adding a third bedroom because it was a two bedroom house, uh, one bathroom, two car. And it had legal heights and quite a long garage to it. So I had the ability to actually add a third bedroom and that was always a long-term play for me. I wanted to do that later down the line, but part of that one was buying that area was for capital growth. So the holding costs on that was actually slightly negative. So with starting like a business, I decided to basically de-risk my situation by selling that property. Mm -hmm. So I sold it for a profit. I mean, it wasn't a huge amount. But if I'm being quite savvy about how I move things forward, that's why I sold that, basically to help you starting a business. Mm. Okay. 
And so you're not doing so much DIY now with your renovating, is that right? Yeah. yeah. When I started, I was very hands-on. Like I did everything and anything to save money. Like I was super budget, like first property, brought all the tools, everything packed into like a small hatchback car. But, you know, as my knowledge grew as an investor and a renovator, I learned how to identify areas where I didn't have to spend as much money and as much time. Don't get me wrong, I still loved picking up tools and doing things. Like I, the very last property I did, I actually took two weeks off just to go and paint the exterior of the house, just because I really enjoy like getting my hands dirty and, and doing all that stuff. So, you know, using something like a paint gun is so much fun. So I, I do enjoy it, but yeah, since those early beginnings, I've definitely been a lot more smarter when it comes to investing, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I, we've got four kids and our eldest daughter is 32, I think, and she yeah. works in finance and I had a lot of trouble getting her interested in property. Like she was shares all the way and, you know, really wasn't that interested. So Hannah was not one bit interested in property, which really made me sad. And so then we did a project together. Well, she was in, I really did the project, but she was in Melbourne and I was in Sydney and she got the loan, we put in the cash and we made 155,000 profits. So she took the hundred and we took the fit because we wanted them all to get a hundred thousand. And so as a result of that, she was able, she was, she just got married and she was able to buy a better property basically. Cool. So they'd already, they were well on the way to getting their first home. And so they bought this really nice house in Malvern East. And then, so they've planned this renovation. So they're going to take it from a two bed, one bath to a three bed, two bath cool. and really increase the value exponentially. And they had the money saved for the reno. And then all of a sudden they decided they were going to buy a beach house instead of renovating their house. So they bought this beach house, which was seriously a nightmare. Like they got it about a hundred thousand under value, but it looked like nothing you would live in. Hadn't been lived in for about four years. And within three weeks, they had totally transformed it all, all DIY. Like they even did plumbing and fixed the septic tank and I just can't believe it. So it's like when people say to me, they can't get their kids interested in renovating, I always say, just show them the money. Yeah. Once they see what they're going to make out of it, they get very interested. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's a happy story. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And that was a real turning point for me, especially with my career. Like that first reno I did in Orange, like the profit that I made on that was it was probably bigger than any of my bonuses, bonuses I'd received prior to that. And I mean, it was tax-free too. So for me, that was a real aha moment. I was like, okay, this I'm onto something here. I need to keep doing this. So yeah, it really yeah. set me on the... Yeah, the only trouble is it's not always tax-free and yeah, which is a bit of a pain, yeah. but that's life and that's basically, you know, a cost of doing business. So I actually really like our women, like mostly when we have some men, mm -hmm. to be able to make a year's salary out of their renos. And because women in particular, once they have their first baby, and I know this is not your territory, but I'm just going to, I like to 
spread the message wherever I can. Okay. <laughs> Once they have their first baby, their income capacity diminishes and it never recovers yeah. because they all of a sudden they've got other commitments and they tend to be the ones that work part-time. So my argument is you obviously you need to have some capacity behind you. It's you, It would be hard to do this as a first home buyer, but once you've got a bit of property behind you, you can get going on renovating and have the full-time income but not have the job, which I think is amazing. So that's the power of renovating. Yeah. Yeah. And so some, I think that most people that start in renovating at some point in time graduate to some form of development. Have you been there yet? No, I haven't yet, but um, I have a number of friends who have delved into that. So I wouldn't rule it out either. Like, you know, if you yeah. if you do do it well, like, yeah, it can be quite right for profit. Yeah, and the absolute sweet spot is where you can combine your renovating and do some small development with it. So because the beauty of it is if you keep your development small, you're working with residential builders, you're not residential borrowing as you would know being a mortgage broker and so the renovation just gives the strategy wings if you can buy something that's got a house on it that you can renovate and get a bit of land with it too so yeah what would you say if someone like you deciding to get into the property market and use renovating as their jet fuel what would be your biggest tips for doing that Pulling this down to one is very difficult. So, well, you can give, you can give three. I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, I think my first tip for anyone for anyone just starting out is just do it. Like, I'm I'm one of those people that was guilty of not taking action. I spent probably the better part of about a year just reading and kind of getting in my own head, and that really slowed me down just to start. That is my first tip, take action. Go speak to real estate agents. Go and just meet people and network. And that kind of feeds into my second tip. You know, a lot of what I learned as an investor and a renovator is just speaking to like-minded people, like get into a community, like people who go on podcasts, I would reach out to them and ask for a coffee or people who were in magazines or even like anywhere there was a crowd, like I would basically try and meet these people and try and get the information that they had. So like their, their wins, their losses, and kind of like extract those nuggets of gold of wisdom that they could pass on to me. So that's the second one. And I think the third one is like as a first timer, you really have to make sure you build a great team around you. So, you know, what is that? That's like um, an accountant solicitor, builder, obviously, someone with finance background, so a banker or a mortgage broker. And one thing that I kind of went and did a little bit extra is I'll try and find those people who were like property investors or worked with property investors mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you can rely on them for their core job, which is what they're good at. But then if they've got experience in that part of, you know, your interest, then you can kind of rely on them to lean on their shoulder for just general property advice as well. And that just, that really helped me as a, as a renovator. Like the number of times I had to, you know, consult with my professional to help, like it really like exponentially increased my learning. 
Yeah. And look, I really support that. I think in particular, your accountant absolutely has to be property savvy because the problem is you don't know what you don't know and any old accountant can look up an answer to your question. But if you don't know the questions to ask, you can get into hot water very easily. And like I even see it with some renovators, they will have had advice from an accountant that is just completely and utterly wrong. And it can lead them down a path of generally paying too much tax. And yeah, and that's the big thing that you need to manage. So do you use buyer's agents? No, I never use the buyer's agents. And it's not that I'm saying they're good or they're bad. Like it really depends at the end of the day how you plan on transacting your property. For me personally, what I wanted to do is I had the time to go to these areas and inspect them. And I really wanted to personally build those relationships. And yeah, look, admittedly, it did take time. They're not going to give you an off-market deal because that's what everyone wants. But the more time you spend in the market, the more they get to know that you're serious. I mean, like real estate agents at the end of the day do want to kind of help create a successful transaction. So if you can make it easier for them by being present in the market and showing that you're ready to go, that will help. But yeah, like I know people that have used buyer's agents and that works out for them personally as well. So at the end of the day, it just depends how you're going to plan to transact in the property space. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that like everything in life, there are buyer's agents and buyer's agents and you've got to get the right one for what you're planning to do. And that's the trick. Yeah. 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 And what do your family think about your journey? Um, yeah, look, they're, they're pretty proud, I have to say. Like, you know, that very first reno, I didn't mention it, but my, my dad helped me a lot with that. And I was incredibly lucky that he'd fairly recently retired. So, yeah, he, he and I have spent a lot of time renovating together. And, like, you know, the, the ups and downs we went through together, it was good memory, like good memories looking back on it, especially going through all the hard yards. But, um, yeah, like, you know, mum helped out a little bit too with painting with the properties too and yeah like I've got a, a younger sister yeah I I think they're all pretty proud of me it's not easy to go and do this sort of stuff and yeah I mean it's something that I'm passionate about and I wanted to pursue so I went after it yeah yeah and I think that it is a really great like an example to set to younger family members because if you're not in that space you tend not to, well, obviously you did, but others tend not to even think about it. And so by seeing what you're doing will impact on her view of what's possible for her at some stage, I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what made you turn to mortgage broking? Yeah. So I'll just tell you, like I used to work at Commonwealth Bank and I worked there for just over 10 years. So it was twofold, really. The reason I first wanted to do it is kind of in the middle of my career there, I had the ability to help a small business owner basically pay out his investor. And like the loan that I got him approved, like by any measure in what I was required to do, it was actually below the requirement. But I still wanted to do it anyway because I could just see how passionate he was and I really wanted to support the guy and 
when it got approved and helping him basically take control of his own business, like the level of appreciation he gave back to me was just, it was an awesome feeling. Like he really appreciated it. And what made it even more special is his business like improved exponentially over the next few years. Like he went from being New South Wales based to national based business. So that was the wow. first reason why. And then the second reason was through actually my own journey as an investor, buying property and working at a bank, I thought I knew a lot about finance, but I have to admit mm. I was very naive. Mm. I thought I knew a lot, but it wasn't until I actually engaged a my own mortgage broker that he then kind of gave me the opportunity to kind of look behind the curtain and see what other possibilities there were to grow as an investor and how you can leverage other banks to grow a portfolio. So those two experiences kind of fed into why I made the change. And yeah, since then, it's been a great journey so far. Yeah. And, and you're based in Sydney. We did clarify that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, have you got anything to add? Thinking about like the scariest moment of my renovations. Oh, yeah. Um, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, it wasn't all fl- like, you know, smooth sailing, but. You know, everything sunk into me, especially with that first Renault, when I got there and realized like how much work had to be done. You know, the grass was knee high, the place was just black. And it was one of those moments where you go, what have I got myself into? And I kind of de-risked it all just by writing down what I could do. And we had no electricity, no like plumbing, anything like that. So. That to me was a pretty scary moment, but once I kind of chunked it all down and kind of broke it down into bite-sized pieces, it was like, okay, I have a to-do list. Let's just do it. So that was probably the scariest part of my whole journey. I'd probably say the funnest part of being a renovator is just the people, like the people that I met along the way. Like I used to play tricks on my builders by like hiding their cigarettes or their kind of like... And just, you know, pretend that some sorry. That's what we call a nightmare. (laughs) No, it was all in good fun and yeah, it was uh you know, I had that kind of relationship where I could do that. But yeah, it's definitely the people that you meet along the way. Like it's what makes it so rewarding and yeah, like seeing the profit after the property gets like revalued and being able to use that how you please, it's a very rewarding experience. Yeah, beautiful. Well, listen, I want to thank you for making time to come on to the podcast. We will include your details in the show notes in case anyone wants to chase you down. And, um, yeah, so thanks for that, Morgan. It's a pleasure being on the show. Hi, Bernadette. It's Ali in Canberra. Hi, Bernadette. My name's Charlie. Hi, Bernadette. It's Liz here. Hi, Bernadette. This is James from Bondi in Sydney. I've got a question I'd like to ask. I have a question. I just have a question for you. Interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for the show. Love it. Hi, Bernadette. It's Ali in Canberra. I'm just wanting to get your thoughts on how you approach a renovation in a strata property. Okay, so thanks for your question, Ali, and greetings from Lockdown Central in Sydney. 
So how I approach a renovation in a strata property is, can be quite a lengthy answer, but I'm going to be as brief as I can. So part of the approach starts in the due diligence phase. So you want to be sussing out the owner's corporation's attitude to renovation in the due diligence phase and also the process uh, for applying for approval. Now, the thing is with strata properties, generally the owners' corporations and the managers are quite poorly educated on what's required to do to make changes to a property, particularly structural changes. And so as a renovator, often your role as an educator, as well as, you know, an applicant, so really teaching them basically what they should be asking for. So if you're wanting to make structural changes, well, to be honest with you, most changes require approval. Painting doesn't. And you can put these days, uh, we can put a hole in the wall to hang a picture and we can install wardrobes. They're considered minor. Pretty much anything that um, means that you've got to drill into the wall, other than the ones I've mentioned, is considered requiring approval. And the reason for that is because the owners corporation actually owns the walls. You own everything that's on the inside of the paint line and then the owners corporation owns the rest. So um, so they want you to ask uh, if you're going to change something that belongs to them. So firstly, you know, you find out what the approval process is. And so generally they'll require you to fill in a form and submit it. And if it's if there are structural changes or if there's a bathroom that's also considered a major change, then you're going to probably be requested to uh, produce a bylaw and get that registered. So that they'll request that of you. Some may request a deposit of you. Some may request that you get all your quotes before you put, you put your application in and you accompany it with the quotes from the trades and all their licensing and due diligence details. So it really does depend on the group of people you're dealing with. But the main thing I would say is with whatever you're doing, I would keep the communication channels open, be telling them what you're doing, keeping them informed on what the next step is, because you sort of need to see it from their point of view. So they're responsible for a building that's the home to quite a few people, and you're planning to make a change that could undermine the um, the integrity of the building. So they're really wanting to make sure, and they, they're flying blind because generally they don't have much idea. So what I would say to them is basically what I want to do, what steps you are taking um, to follow the process that's required. So your engineering, if you're needing to get complying development or DA, then um, let them know what's um, what's happening. There becomes a little bit of a conundrum because in order to apply for approval from council or a CDC, you need the owner's corporation signature. However, you don't actually have that approval until it's been provided. So you don't have the approval until they've signed the form, the form's gone in with all the stuff that needs to go in, and then it comes back. And then you have the, the approval and it's still subject to them agreeing to it. 
So really explaining to them that you can't start until they have given you the the okay, but you can't even get approval until they sign the form. So that's often something that really trips renovators up because the owners corporation feel like that you're pulling the wool over their eyes, but you're not. And so explaining that process clearly is um, is a very important part. So keep the communication lines open. I know I was having problems with one, like I haven't really very often had problems, but I did have problems with one. And what I found I had to do, like I wasn't going to the meetings, I just put in my application. And so in the end, I went to the meeting and discovered that nobody there, even though they had a maintenance department with construction specialists, nobody could read plans. And they were perceiving walls on the plan that were existing walls. They thought that we, our walls were putting in, so we're making massive changes, which we weren't. So it's an education process. And that's probably the biggest tip I can give you is explain the steps really clearly to them. And and so that hopefully they will understand that you are, you know, on their side and will work with you to get to where you want to go. I hope that's helpful, Ali. If you want to meet up with a group of savvy renovating I shouldn't say it's all women because it's not, but savvy renovators, I'll say. Come over and join She Renovates. It's completely free Facebook group and it is growing at the rate of knots. We hit a thousand members just recently and now it seems to have picked up momentum. And so they are all savvy renovating women and men that are working their little hearts out to live a better life through renovating. Join if you're not already a member, and then ask, comment, and do whatever you would like to do in order to further your renovation journey. And that's it for me today. So I'll see you next week. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.